Daniel Sito, what is your favourite game? My favourite game is Final Fantasy VII. Um, well, I'm trying to think now. What originally, my first experience, my first time I ever touched a video game from what I can remember, uh, it was when I, I must have been, I guess, maybe four or five years old. Um, basically, my, my granddad bought myself and my brother, we, he got, it was around Christmas, he got us a, an NES and, um, and a Game Boy. We had a, our Game Boys slightly earlier. Um, and I remember it came, it came with Tetris bundled in and we also got a game, I think it was a, it was a Bugs Bunny game, um, which was actually not, looking back at it, not a very good game, but you know, when you're kids, you don't know what a good game really is. So I, I I just played it over and over again. Yeah. My brother would swap, um, between our cartridges and stuff. So yeah, probably those two games, Bugs Bunny and Tetris were my first real video, was my first video game that I ever played. And with our NES that we shared, we got, um, it was with the Duck Hunt and Super Mario uh, combo. And then ever since then, I've basically, I've always, always played video games. I mean, I, as a kid, I was never really one to go outside and play. I wasn't very sporty. Um, we didn't live that close to where we went to school. So like, all my school friends were like dotted about. So I was quite on my own. My parents worked a lot. So, you know, I was left to my own devices a lot growing up. And, yeah, video games were just something for me to do for, for most of my life. Um, like, further down the line then, like, uh, uh, as you were growing up, like, what, what after that? Well, basically, yeah, it basically progressed because, because we, my brother was quite similar to me in that, yeah, we basically just, um, we would play games uh, growing up. We played, you know, a lot of games together as well as single, single player games. Um and so as we grew up, we were always, you know, we were fortunate enough. Usually it was, you know, a joint Christmas birthday present kind of thing that we would, you know, get games consoles. So we were kind of up to date with what was going on. And we always shared our consoles and our games. Um, and it was, our, I guess my, I suppose you'd say my social situation never really changed that much. You know, my school was always far, far away. So I was on my own playing games so yeah after NES uh, my brother got a Mega Drive I got a Super Nintendo you know years down the line and, and video games yeah we just kept playing we were we were really always into games but it wasn't we never had to put it it was more like they would we saw them more as toys yeah. kind of thing yeah, like yeah. that you know you play it and then you just for fun it wasn't any kind of emotional resonance they were I know we played some amazing games you know like you know, all the Mario's, um, Zelda's that, up to that point, you know, mm, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we were, we, we just played and played growing up and it just, it was part, it was part of our lives. And I think, you know, our, our families kind of recognize it. You know, we always go out, we save up our pocket money to buy games. We buy game magazines. We, you know, always stay up to date with what was coming out, even though as a medium, we didn't quite, I don't want to say understand it, but, you know, we just, as I mentioned before, we played them out. We saw them as toys and just played for the pure enjoyment of it. But it was something, yeah, we always 
always had in the household. You mentioned um, the Mario and, and Zelda experience. Like, what, what, what other games were you playing at that time, like, growing up? Oh, man. Um, basically, if, if, if you can consider them, like, a big game at a the time, then, yeah, that, that was basically what we played. We played almost every... Because back, back in the day as well, you know, that was when, um, when Blockbuster was still a big thing. So renting games mm. was, um, was common. Yeah. So, you know, we'd rent a lot of stuff. Um, so apart from, like, you know, there's all the big hitters. I remember playing, you know, a lot of Star Wing, playing a lot of, you know, Mario Karts, or the, um, you know, Sonic the Hedgehogs, um, Rocky Knight Adventures. Oh, man, love that game. Um, one of my favorites, one of my favorite games, actually going back to talking about the NES, my favorite games of all time, uh, Chip and Dale, Rescue Rangers, one of the first, and Mickey and Donald, World of Illusion on the Mega Drive. You know, they were, like, quintessential co-op, I say co-op. Um, multiplayer games that I used to play with my brother all the time and even though the, in both those games you could just troll each other because in Chip and Dale you just pick each other up and just throw each other in a pit <laughs> and that's basically all we did um, to the point where you know you get really angry at each other and you stop playing and then you know like 20 minutes later like do you want to play again like yeah okay and then the same thing happened you just throw each other in a pit and then Mickey and Donald World of Illusion when you use the um, like the weapons the capes on each other you know the other character kind of twists into a knot um, and stuns them, mm. and then so, so you we wait time. So there's a jump, and then so if you hit the person just before they jump, they'll go in the air, but they obviously they can't really move because they're all in the knot. And then you fall into a pit and die. Uh, and we, we just troll each other so bad um, to the point you know we, we stop talking to each other for like half an hour. And then of course you know later that evening, like do you want to play again? Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's such good games. Ah, oh, I love them. Um, but yeah, basically any any big game. Or even small games. They were like, we, yeah, we've played so much. It's hard. I've never actually really thought about it for a long time, like what we used to play mm. back in those days. No, it's it's it's, it's a fascinating incident because like, I've I've never really played that many um, Disney tie-in games. Like like you said with Chip and Dale and Mickey Mouse. Um, um, I'm, I'm quite sad now. I never played that Chip and Dale game when you put it like that. Consider- oh, mate, mate, so good, so good. I bet you could play you could play it today and it still holds up. It's, you know, the classic, because that's the thing about these old games, because they're, they're quite distilled, especially platformers, mm. um, the, you know, if the controls are tight, then, you know, the level designs are good, then, you know, those games are, all, are pretty much timeless. Mm, like, keeping it uh, simple, sim- simple and fresh after all this time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, you probably wouldn't play it as much as, you know, a kid, as me as a kid, as I did back in the day. But you can play and like, oh yeah, that's actually good fun. Yeah, and you, know, you can you know have a mess around with it. Yeah, like just basically go back to every uh, every go back to every once a few years. Just say, you know what, this was fun. This is fun even now. Um, so moving on slightly down from that. Um, what about PlayStation and PlayStation? Oh well, obviously PlayStation because we're talking about Final Fantasy Seven. But mm-hmm. like, but like, what about other experiences at that time? The PlayStation. I'm gonna be honest. The PlayStation era was, that was when I was starting, you know, I was becoming a teenager, I suppose. So I was getting, you know, growing up a bit. Um, and of course, the whole 3D era, and then it was the 90s as well. So you know what I mean? It was like, if anyone, you know, if you remember what the 90s were like, you know, it's all that, I suppose, attitude and all that kind of stuff. And it was, I remember not necessarily being blown away by anything, um, in particular, but it was just, I guess, you know, translation, 
translation transition into like a new gen and kind of new tech um i remember just playing lots of games where i'm I'm trying to formulate this into words now like i don't want to say like you know like tech demos and whatnot kind of stuff but it was a lot of especially back then i didn't couldn't afford because games you know i as you grow up you know kid you know your parents stopped giving you pocket there's much pocket money because you know you're supposed to be like getting all independent and all that yeah. so i had to be a lot more selective on like kind of what i played now i probably rented a lot more but it was kind of just kind of throw away kind of stuff just um just to pass the time for some reason when i just said that i just i popped in the head i remember renting the game do you remember pandemonium uh it doesn't ring a bell no it was it was like a Two point, it was a 2D platformer, but it was like a 3D graphics and stuff. Um, it wasn't actually all that, even though it did make a, it was, there was a sequel. And I remember playing it, playing it at the time, thinking, oh, yeah, and all that. So I don't know why that popped into my mind. Um, but then there's also all kinds of games, you know, things like Jumping Flash. That was probably, I think, the first proper 3D game I played. Um, we were lucky also to have, because um, my, my aunt at the time was living in Hong Kong, and she bought us for, I think it was for Christmas one time. She got us to take a Saturn, and the Sega Saturn, obviously not being well uh, known for its 3D prowess, you know, had a lot of 2D games, like really, really great 2D games, especially fighting games. Oh, mate, so good. Um, and that was basically where I spent a lot of my, my time playing because, like I say, the 3D stuff, the PlayStation stuff was cool, but it wasn't necessarily much that really grabbed me until, you know, further on into its lifespan, until really I played Final Fantasy VII, um, uh, which basically changed everything for me. But before that, yeah, it was still, it was a mixture of, because, you know, we didn't really get rid of any of our old consoles. So, you know, I still had all my old games by Super Nintendo. I still had, um, you know, all the games on the Saturn that we were playing. Um, actually, one of... I don't regret much in life, but one of my regret, my only life regrets is, you know, is selling my NES. I, I really wish I didn't do that. I was a stupid kid for doing it. But anyway, yeah. So it was only until Final Fan- I played Final Fantasy VII that games really changed for me before that it was even up until that point you know i i just played games just basically because they were fun and i was killing time because i had nothing else to do and i didn't want to do any more homework i did enough of that who didn't yeah <laughs> we'll come back on to the ps1 era um uh, uh, later on with final fantasy 7 obviously but like as we as we got into the 2000s like what was that like uh gaming wise for you anyways oh well obviously that's after seven came final fantasy 7 came out yeah um, man, yeah, completely, completely changed. Because what Seven did, basically, Seven opened my eyes to what video games could be. It was the first RPG I had ever played, um, and that showed me, you know, that games could have big stories. They could have wonderful characters, unique settings, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you had that in other games before, you know, especially like you know, I guess Legend of Zelda is one of my favorite other favorite franchises um and you know that has all that kind of stuff but it never it didn't stick with me back then it was only until i played final Fantasy seven then afterwards then especially after seven then that was like jrpg renaissance eras because after that because i guess because it was such a big hit there was so many especially you know in europe 
you know, Final Fantasy VII was the first Final Fantasy game released here. So after that, it kind of opened the floodgates for JRPGs. And after playing that, then I was like, oh my God, I want more. I want more of that. So, you know, I looked up and played all kinds of RPGs, you know, Vandal Hearts, Grandia, um, Suicoden, um, you name it. And I, I just looked, I remember Suicoden 2 in particular, that was, oh my God, that was, that is such an incredible game. And the only reason I bought it was because one, it was a, it was a JRPG. And two, it had a tiny, tiny review in the back of CVG magazine. And they gave it five out of five. Said it was a JRPG. And literally, I think the, the review itself was like a couple of hundred words. Told you basically nothing of the game. But it had five out of five. It had one screenshot. And it, they, you know, it was JRPG. I thought, oh, okay, that must be good. I like RPGs. I take a punt at it. And oh my God, it's amazing. Um, and that was basically it. it was, and I guess as a kid, you know, you're a little bit more wide-eyed. So I was a lot more... Or maybe it was the time as well, but I was more open to just going into a shop and looking at a, a game and be like, you know what, I'll give that a shot. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't necessarily care too much about the reviews or whatever. I'm just going to, the box art looks nice. It sounds kind of cool. I'll give it a shot. Just uh, touch on how you first got in the industry side of things. Luck. That's how I got in. Um, it Honestly, it's, it's a really weird weird story um basically i i finished uni well i was sorry i was in my final year at uni and you know i was a bit bummed out with studies and stuff you know blah 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 blah. that all that stuff that doesn't really matter but i got into a gaming community on website destructoid.com and through that i got back in touch with an old school friend of mine um and you know we started talking and through the community, because the community was really active. It was kind of like the dawn of when, yeah, video game communities were really big and started really forming. So, you know, we found other people in the UK, especially in London. Um, and it was around the time of the the Play.com Expo, if you remember that. Uh, rings a bell. Yeah, it was, it was only a one-off thing. But uh, yeah, yes, basically... Uh, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, like a precursor to the Eurogamer Expo before that. Mm. Um the event was actually pretty rubbish because all the like eighty percent of the games they said would be there were not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all went, and you know we all had we started a good laugh, and we kind of decided afterwards that you know we kind of wanted to do more for the site, um, for Destructoid that is. So I just started blogging and I just started writing features and stuff for them. Um, we start we formed like kind of a UK team. We did our podcast together called Brittoid, Um and it was all just for fun. Or just for fun, had no intention of taking it any further. Um, it was just a hobby, and we covered Gamescom for them, you know, because they're based in the states. Say them traveling over, and you know, we did. Yeah, I think we did. A, we did a really good job. Um, and through that, the person who was basically in charge of uh, Destructoid UK, um, Holly Holly Bennett, uh, she obviously got talking to a lot of PR people because that's what you do when you go to events. You know, you talk to PR people to get appointments and whatnot. Um, and a PR company just tweeted out that they were looking for an assistant uh, publicist. Um, Holly retweeted it. I saw it. I looked at the job spec and was like, man, that's pretty simple. I could do that. Hell, what, what, I've literally got nothing to lose. I, I was just doing dead end jobs. You know, I was working in retail um, or temping, you know, just to pay rent. So I had no like career on the, on the horizon. So I was like, oh, what have I got to lose? Wrote my TV, sent it off, 
came back home because at the time, yeah, Holly, well, at the time we still do. Um, Holly and I are flatmates, so I came back home. We were just having a cup of tea or something, and I just said, "Oh, I uh, I applied for that job at Premier Premier PR, who are the comp- the PR company that mm. uh, tweeted out that they're looking for an assistant publicist." And I said, "You know, I applied for the job. See what happens." And she was like, "Oh, that's cool." Come back home the next day, and Holly tells me that she uh, she gave him a call and that they'll be in touch. I was like, "What?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I speak spoken to." Uh, when your account managers, because, you know, with stuff on Gamescom, like, I just name-checked you, and you're like, oh, they'll be in touch. Funny enough, next day, I got a phone call for an interview, went to that interview, and then I got the job. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I was like, that was just a completely off-chance kind of thing. So, yeah, that's how, that's how I got into the games industry. Um, and then from there, um, I stayed at Premier for, I think, three, nearly four years doing games PR, um, for you know, a wide, wide range of clients. So everybody from Warner Brothers to 2K, THQ to Rising Star, EA to Marvelous Entertainment. So yeah, loads, loads of people. Um, and then just on the off chance, I was at the time when, I, you know, towards the end of my time at Premiere, um, Square Enix were... were um, you know, one of our clients, and I did a lot of the PR for. The, well, I did. I did some of the PR for some of their games, mm. and um, I heard that they they were hiring. And you know, being such a Final Fantasy fanboy, I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" Um, so you know, I asked around. I applied for a job, um, looking at job spec. It was a although it was a different job spec to what I would. The jobs were going were different to what I thought was going. But I was like, "Got nothing to lose. I just I just ask." So got I I applied somehow got through to an interview got talking and I never actually thought it would go anywhere you know I was just chancing it mm-hmm. and um, yeah then they they called me up they said oh the the job because I I applied for a PR role and they said oh yeah we don't think um, you're quite right for this PR role but we have a community manager role um, you know in our in our Squarenix Japan studios department uh are you interested and i was like what and they were like yeah we think you'd be really good and i was like uh you know i've got no community manager experience and they're like that's fine we think we still th- we think you're a, a great fit uh, you know are you interested and I'm like, fuck yeah i'm interested as long as you know that i've got no experience <laughs> then then I'm more, I'm more for it if i can do it and then that that was it and that was how i uh i joined square it was almost i almost just yeah fumbled into it it was just Pure chance, pure chance and luck. That's all anything ever is. Nothing yeah. more than than luck, as as to paraphrase, uh, five hundred days of summer. Um, <laughs> um, so there's our disclosure, by the way. Um, by the way. <laughs> Let's move on to your favourite game, Final Fantasy VII. Um, so, I realise I'm probably going to ask this question as if I'm talking to a brick wall here, knowing that I'll <laughs> probably immediately realise this answer, but I'm going to ask this anyways. This was more or less everyone's first Final Fantasy experience, so I assume it was the same with you. Mm-hmm. Yep. How, how did you first get really into, uh, get excited for Final Fantasy VII? What made you want to get Final Fantasy VII at that time? You know what? I can't 
remember, I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I just remember, I'll never forget it, actually. I remember seeing, it's, I knew about the game before this, but I remember right. seeing an issue of CVG on, in a magazine rack in, in um, I think it was like in the spa down towards my grandparents' um, house. And it was a cover. It was a silver. It was a metallic silver cover, and um, it ha- it was silver background, and it had cloud on the front. Um, the um, uh, on the Hardy Daytona, the bike, hmm. uh, and it had the caption. I, oh, I, I say I, I remember it really vividly. I can't remember what the caption was exactly, but it was something like you know um, something something kick ass or something like something under that that tone. I was just like, oh my god, that looks like the best thing ever. But I was already aware of the game. And I was, I can't, like I say, I can't remember exactly the moment, but I, it was, the, I obsessed over it. Every, every time I saw it in a magazine, you know, I would buy that magazine. I would cut out the pictures. I would make little collages um, in, you know, just using print stick and just sticking it down on bits of paper and whatnot. I remember in school we did, um, I can't remember what year it is because we had different year structures in my school. I think it was what we called first forms, which I think is year eight, seven or eight. Uh, and, you know, we were told to, um, we were going to make time capsules. And they were like, okay, put whatever's in there that's important to you. And I just made collages of Final Fantasy VII, screenshots, artwork, all that kind of stuff. I just stuck it on a bit of paper and put it in there. Unfortunately, we never knew where they were put. So we never got them um, again. We never saw them again after they were buried somewhere, probably thrown away in a clear out or something. But um, I do very vividly remember making that. And yeah, this was a game that I absolutely obsessed over. Every detail I could ever find. In fact, you know, this is before the internet. So, you know, a quarter page in whatever magazine, you know, I would buy that magazine. I would pour over that little tiny bit in a magazine and just, yeah, be completely absorbed by it. And the funny thing is, is that as it turns out, when I played the game, when I finally got to play the game, I actually didn't really understand anything about the game at all. Because in the first battle, you know, when you get off the train and yeah. you fight the, um, the Shinra soldiers, mm. I remember just thinking, oh my God, look at this, this is amazing. You know, the ATB fills up, you click attack, and I was like, oh my God, let's, let's go, let's go. And then you see Cloud, you know, he goes up, he takes one, one swipe at a soldier and jumps back, and the ATB fills up. And I was like, what, the, what just happened? I'm like, what? Why is he back where he starts? Okay, filled up. Maybe I did something wrong. You know, do it again. Same thing happens. I'm like, this isn't what I thought the game was like. Oh, well, whatever. And I just, <laughs> I was just like, I don't care. I don't care. Let's keep going. This looks so good. And then, you know, the more I played Odyssey Dance, when the character, I realized how much lore, story, characters, and all that kind of stuff. And that's when it all grabbed me, when it hooked me, when I played it. But before, I just, I think, I think I just really loved it because it looked so cool. It just looks so different to anything I had ever seen. Uh, and, yeah, that was how, I guess, my obsession started. Uh, well, in terms of making collages, that's definitely a bona fide obsession as far as obsessions go. I was a kid, okay? I was, like, seven, six, seven years old. Actually, no, I wasn't. That's a lie. I was... If the game, I, when the game came out, I think I was 10 or 11. So I was probably about 9 or 10. Uh, well. So still, still a kid. I was a kid. Okay, okay, you have leeway, you have leeway, not much, but leeway nonetheless. <laughs> I had nothing better to do. <laughs> Who doesn't when playing games? <laughs> yeah. um, um, like, so, you booted up the game, and intro's there, and then intro's starting, like, 
you're floating out what seems like space and then big explosion there. The bombing machine, yeah, funny yeah. man. Um, like, what what was that like for them? Like, when when you first start seeing the intro, like, what was that like for you? Oh man, completely, completely mind blowing. It's like, you know, this is just kind of a funny thing because Final Fantasy Seven was, you know, as we've already mentioned, you know, it's like most people's first Final Fantasy game, yeah? And it's a game that whenever you ask people, like, you know, what's your favorite PlayStation game, whatever, you know, that's a game that Final Fantasy always comes up. Uh, more so than any other Final Fantasy game, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And it gets you thinking, like, what is it really about Final Fantasy Seven that makes it so special? Because, you know, obviously every Final Fantasy game is different. And, you know, arguably it's been seven, it's been bested, whatever. That's another topic. Um, but seven is the one that people always remember. And it's always the one that the majority of people go back to. And I think what it really was, it, it was, especially for me at the time, it really epitomizes PlayStation. It epitomizes what the PlayStation was really capable of and what it actually meant. It's like, not just as a system, but, you know, what video games as well were and could be. Because before that, you know, you've got... I know other RPGs have existed before that, and especially because this was the first. But the way the tech worked and the way, you know, the, F- the full motion videos flowed from gameplay to FMVs seamlessly, all that kind of stuff, really kind of just showed you that, man, this is PlayStation, this is power, this is what you can do in games now, if you know what I mean. You know, this is all in 3D. It looks incredible. It looks unlike anything you could, you've ever seen. It's not just like level-by-level level structures. Everything flows. And it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's a statement. It was, at the time, more of a statement of, you know, this is the new standard. This is what video games are. And I guess, you know, other games do that as well. You mentioned Metal Gear Solid. Um, before, like Metal Gear Solid 1 is another game that did that, you know, with its, you know, very cinematic presentation. It's like, yeah, I don't want to, like, diss any other kind of games, but, you know, like, when you think of, like, let's say, like, platform games, like Mario or Sonic, you know, you yeah. think, bright cartoony graphics, level structure, you know, video gamey, which is, you know, perfectly fine. It's great for what they are, but it's like, these games were like, you know, this is the new standard. This is PlayStation. It's like, that is why 7 sticks in so many people's minds so much because it's so mind-blowing and so perfect for the time it was the first that it'll never happen again i don't think because you know as technology advances it's harder and harder to do that because it's you know you've almost had that experience before you've seen that kind of thing before that technological leap is you know has diminishing returns the kind of leap to have diminishing returns and i was like yeah i i just could not believe what I was seeing, I, I almost couldn't believe it was even a game that I was playing, especially because I didn't really know what I was doing either. Mm. <laughs> um, you said yourself, like, the lore was the big, one of the big reasons why you were interested in that game. Like, talk of that lore, like, how, how much it, that resonated with you. Oh, mate. Um, you know what? As, as the older you get, the more you look into it, I say look into it, the more you hear other people talking about it, the more you talk about it, you know, Seven often gets a bit of a bad rep for being, you know, I guess like with most Japanese games, having convoluted stories and whatnot. But when I first played it, everything just made sense. Everything flowed. And it was like, because it was the first game I ever played that really had a story, I'm 
trying because you know I get again I keep saying I played Legend of Zelda games, but which also have stories. But you know how those stories in Zelda games aren't. I don't want to say fully fleshed out narratives because they are, but you know what I mean. It's like you go here, you go to a dungeon, you get this item, you go here, stuff happens. It's there's no there's less kind of dialogue and like kind of interaction. Whereas Final Fantasy VII was the first time I had ever seen anything like that. It's like these are actual characters, these are actual these actual people hmm. talking and going through struggles. And you know maybe now when you look back, it's some things, some lines of dialogue were a bit hokey, but, you know, because it was made in the 90s, you know. But at the time, and actually, no, I still think it holds up even to this day. You know, I'm playing it on, on my phone, on iOS, which, oh, my God, there's another thing. Like, I can't believe, like, maybe I'm just easily amused, but, or, you know, easily impressed, but I can't believe I'm playing Final Fantasy VII on the go, on a tiny little device in the palm of my hand. It's like, it blows my mind. If I told myself, you know, the kid playing the game, like, no, nah, I would have slapped myself. Like, that would never happen. That's stupid. How could that game ever fit onto... Anyway, tangent. Um, yeah, the, the, the whole story in the lore just almost overwhelmed me because it kept... I, I don't want to say it kept me up all night, but it, it, it made me want to stay up later at night to play and to spend more time with these characters and get up earlier just, just to play it. You know, I would rush my homework so, you know, I could get a little bit more time in just to see what would happen next, how all these people would talk to each other and interact with each other. And it was... Yeah, like I said, because it was the first time that it ev- I'd ever seen it. I think that has a big impact on, you know, on the game's impact on me. Mm. But at the same time, it was a case of, yeah, just... I mean, at the time, when, when 7 came out, um, what did it, it came out just a couple of years after, after my dad passed away. Mm. So my mum was... And my, my, my brother was older than me, so he was, I think, he was... How old was he? He was, you know, obviously busy, more busy studying than I was. I think he was talking, coming towards the end of his GCSEs. Um, so I was left more so on my own because my mum was always working. I was left to my own devices more so than when I was a kid. So these characters, these people in this game felt even more real to me because, you know, these, I wouldn't say they were my friends because, you know, it's all part of a story. It was, I wasn't necessarily... You know, I'm not there, but I felt like I was there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like I was even more invested in everything, the law and the story and everything going on. And it all made sense to me. It's only when I got older that I, you know, maybe I got smarter and I could see things maybe not making as much sense or not. And it's actually a lot of jokes went over my head as a kid. Um, I didn't quite realize how sassy and sarcastic Cloud really is until I was replaying the game when I was older. Um, which I love about him, and I can't believe I missed it the first time around. But yeah, it, that's that is what the law and the characters mean to me. Because without sounding over dramatic, you know, I didn't really have anyone else in my life at that point. That's that's the beauty part about um, revisiting games later down the line. And I've had this with myself with Metal Gear Solid Two and Three. Like you spot things that you didn't see the first time. Like 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 I, I can't speak for Final Fantasy a great deal because like. I never played the big AAA big blockbusters on PS1, like like Final Fantasy, like Metal Gear Solid, like whatever else came out at that time. But I can speak for you know my younger childhood and like realizing things now, because like in 2002, spoilers by the way for anyone listening, like <laughs> like like there's the big shell Raiden's there, like sneaking up and he's on the helipad. Olga's there, slipping on bird shit, slipping on bird shit. Yep, <laughs> and. 
There's there's Olga on staircase to the helipad, warning who some guy over the radio about Tengu ninjas, and then this ominous music comes on and she escapes by doing some sort of ninja uh, moves, and then it turns out that hindsight being twenty twenty fourteen years later, of course. Olga was the ninja in the game. The music would have foreshadowed her being the ninja before the big reveal. The guy in the video was Solidus. And the Tengu soldiers were to guard Arsenal gear. So, it's... it's My point is, it's... it's Although you don't really notice these things, like, for... Um, uh, first time, it's it's still nice. Even, um... Oh, I don't quite know how to word this, but it's more of a, uh, it's more of a good feeling they have when you discover these things hook up even years down the line. It's a good feeling to have. It's a warm feeling to have, even perhaps. Yeah, and I guess it makes the games. It shows that the games have layers, right? Yeah. It means that whatever emotional investment you had in a game almost feels justified because yeah. you go back to them and be like, oh, it's not just a two D. Not you know literally two D like two dimensional kind of how to put it of emotions like you know it wasn't it's not I'm not looking into it too much um, you know what I mean I'm not looking at things that aren't really there you know this it's a uh, a game music whatever um, that has those layers that allows you to look into things more so than you probably would have realized. We've touched upon, uh, on the lore, and like we'll get more specific with characters in a moment, but like, what about um, as a setting, as a whole, Midgar? Like, that kind of big, vibrant world, exploring that for the first time. Oh, man. It's, it's like, it's like, how to, man, I, I just get completely, aw- thinking back, I just get so awestruck about how much is in that game and how much happened. I mean, I remember being really surprised that when you even left Midgar, I was like, there's more of the game outside because you know most you did show some of the other uh, bits of the world like in the in the marketing and stuff but most of it was all kind of focused with the the events that happened inside Midgar especially because Midgar is such a iconic uh location within the game but it was yeah oh man yeah it's every bit of music in in that game in Final Fantasy 7 I can always, as soon as it plays, I can picture myself exactly where I was or where you are in that, in the game when that plays. And the bits in Midgar, especially in Shinra Tower, mm. it's, oh man, yeah, it brings back. And it's just so atmospheric. And it's so, because it, the way Midgar is, I suppose, being, you know, kind of pseudo, pseudo realistic, pseudo futuristic, pseudo sci fi, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's sort of believable that it's a place that could exist at some point in time. Mm, yeah. You know, it's not it's not like a medieval um, castle with dragons and you know magic. Yeah, the typical R- yeah the typical RPG tropes. Exactly, that's you know very fantastical. That you think, ah, yeah, yeah, this is fa- this is pure fantasy. Whereas, although you know, Final Fantasy does have stuff like magic and all that kind of stuff, and all mm. the stuff with general and all that, blah 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 blah. Um, the setting is a lot more realistic, especially a lot more realistic than anything I had played at the time. Because I think, I'm trying to think, like the most, the closest thing that I can even remember being realistic that I at least got into is stuff like, you know, like flashback on the Mega Drive or, you know, or maybe even, I don't know, Cypher Filter was after Metal Gear Solid, so that wasn't even then. I'm trying to think of what other realistic game, I can't even remember, apart from maybe some World War Two 
she was like Medal of Honor. Mm. But then, of course, that's World War Two, so it's not the present. So, Final Fantasy VII in Midgar, it felt real, but obviously there were bits in it that you know were obviously very fantastic, but they weren't real. So it was like a good mixture of places, things that you could really that allowed you to really believe in the place. That, like I said, it's a more realistic, more grounded, more modern setting. Like certainly compared to past games, where you know it is this kind of it, where they fed in with that kind of you know. Mag- magical kind of, um, I don't quite know how to put it, but like basically fits in with you know the tropes of you know the classic RPG mm. era of like looking at somewhere like Eastern Europe. Although that, that is basically Final Fantasy Nine as well, like because that's that's been influenced by Eastern Europe as well, like mm-hmm. you know Czech Republic and all that there. But I digress. Um, and it's, and it's a more industrial like setting as well, like certainly a lot more industrial than any other game at that time. So. It's 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 um it was definitely a setting that and I said as someone who's not played a great deal of Final Fantasy Seven even though you know there's plenty of options now to do so but it's more there wasn't really a setting like it it's m- certainly not nothing iconic on that level anyways since then mm. yeah well actually yeah 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 I would agree with that and the other thing as well especially like at the time and the age I was Midgar was fucking cool man. You look at like look it around and looking at the artwork and stuff. That place is cool, mm. and I'd like and the things that you're doing there. Like you probably I didn't even realize kind of the gravity. You know the fact that you're terrorists mm. in the beginning of the game. You know I thought you know I maybe more innocently thought of eco warriors or whatever. Um, but the things that happen and things that you do, and the pacing at the beginning from the bombing mission onwards. You know you there's. It's just constantly you're doing cool stuff. Cool stuff is happening. You know, you get chased down the street, you jump on the top of the train, you know, you get busted, you have to jump out, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's never it's never a dull moment. And the whole setting is totally believable within the cool shit that you do and the cool shit that you see. Just to touch upon the other small well not smaller place, but like the the other locations within the game, like the like the other main secondary location, certainly. Like there's, there's Costa del Sol, there's mm-hmm. uh, Gongaga, and of course, perhaps the bigger, most well-known like kind of location within that location is the Golden Saucer. Yep. Like yep. just, just talk for your experience. Oh mate, I just I wish the Golden Saucer was real. That's <laughs> all I remember as a kid. Like oh my god, I want to go there. I wanted, I want to be in this. So it looks so amazing. Yeah, and there's the other. Because all, all the locations are so distinct. They're so special in their own right. And, you know, you mentioned Costa del Sol. That one's probably the most weirdest out of all of them. I mean, it's just a beach resort. But especially after, after you just leave Junon, um, you know, you fight Geneva for the first time. And then, you know, you're just chilling out on the beach. Like, this is surreal. And I know it's a pacing thing, you know, to let you decompress and think about what's just happened. But at the same time, it's like, this is really weird. <laughs> but I love it because it mixes that weirdness with the serious, with the funny, with the goofy and the and the dramatic. Um, and then you've got places like Cosmo Canyon, you know, which I think automatically jumps incredibly high on most people's list in lo- Final Fantasy locations because of the music. Because that, mu- cos- you know, the Cosmo Canyon music is boss. Um, and I, I think comes up in everybody's top list of favorite tracks from Final Fantasy VII from the soundtrack. Um and yeah, every every place, every place in that game is is special. And that's I, and I, I guess that's a, maybe that's just a test. Maybe I'm looking at the game 
through bias eyes because I love it so much. But I think it's also what really helped, you know, elevate the game to its status because, you know, with Midgar being Midgar, hmm. if everything else, if all the other locations outside where you spend, I guess, the majority of the game, you know, if it was a bit shit, then, you know, you you probably pack it in. You probably wouldn't be interested. But they they have enough character in their own right you know, everything from Rocket, ta- you know, the Rocket teetering over in Rocket Town and everybody talking like, yeah, we know it's going to fall one day, but we're still, you know, we're still hanging around. You know, every, every place has a story. Every place has its own history and background that, you know, you want to find out about. And that's, I guess that's the hallmark of a good JRPG or RPG in general, I guess. So let's, let's move on and touch upon character side, animals. Um So I'm, I'm going to name a few characters and then you just basically sum up um, how much they resonate with you? So, mm-hmm. uh, let's start with a uh, really simple one, Cloud. Uh, oh man, Cloud! I I love I love Cloud. He's I think, especially after Advent Children, he gets a bit of a bad rep for being a bit. You know, I guess it was at that time as well. You know, where, you know, everyone says, "Oh, he's just an emo, emo wannabe." Uh, crack a smile, crack a joke. But then, it's like I said earlier on, it's like especially in the beginning of the game, he is such a sarcastic. A wise cracking motherfucker. He's badass, and he's like, yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't take shit. Um, and he's, yeah, I, I, I love him. And the thing is, he's, he's a lot more. I think he's got a lot more layers than a lot of people kind of give him credit for. Because you know, there's spoilers. If anyone's not played Final Fantasy Seven, shame on you. But um, you know, when you find out that he's, you know, a clone. Um, and you find out his history when he loses his mind and your world of things with Jennifer cells and that stuff it's like it really it's, it feels for me at least it felt like I lost a part of myself as well because when I when I grew older and when I um, started replaying the game and that, a theme that I never even realised in the game jumped out at me and that's a theme that you know you you can't you can't trust your memories. You can't trust what people say. You can't trust anybody. It's a trust, you know, trust, I suppose, huh. is a um, big theme. And Cloud is the epitome of that because he goes through the entire game thinking, you know, he's Cloud Strife and thinking, like, this is my life. This is what happened. You know, we find out that it's all, all a lie. Huh. Um, and yet he has the strength to stand up like, actually, you know what? Fuck that. I am my own person. I'm going to go kick Sethoth's ass and save the world or blah, blah, blah. You know that. Um, so he's got, yeah, an inner strength like that any, I guess, any good JRPG hero needs to have because, you know, hero's journey and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of love for Cloud. I love, I love everything from his design. I love its, you know, all its costumes, you know, from, it's from the game to Avon Children, you know, Buster Sword is fucking badass, even if it is giant and impractical. But, you know, you see him swinging it around in having children. It's like, yeah, all right, you make it work. Never thought I would ever see that a giant-ass piece of metal like that work. But, man, you, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> um, next, Tifa. Best, best character in Final Fantasy history. I love, I love Tifa. She is, she is the heart and soul of Final Fantasy VII. Um, you know, Cloud is obviously the main, Cloud and Sephiroth are like kind of the main characters, you know, the story revolves around them and their relationship, but really the crutch of the entire game, the heart of the game lies in Tifa 
and her relationship with Cloud. You know, she, her, her desire to protect him and her desire, you know, her maternity uh, feelings, I suppose, you know. Yeah. You could see it, like, in a party, in a group, you know, she's always kind of the mother figure. Um, that, yeah, she is the one that, you know, hides the truth from Cloud because she knows, you know, when, can you imagine that? When your best friend and the person that you're in love with spouting all this stuff that you know is not true and that you must know in your heart that that person is not who you think they are you know that's you know that's deep that's deep as in like cut deep um you know and it's that's and she's got that inner strength to stand up and be like no you know what i'm gonna go on this journey to protect you because i know that this is wrong because if you think about it after Okay, granted, after the plate falls and everyone leaves Midgar, she's got nowhere else to go because her home's been destroyed and whatnot. But she has no real reason to go along with them, with, the, with Barrett and Cloud. So, and, and Red 13. So, and, but she goes because of her love for Cloud and the fact, you know, that she knows that she has to be there. And, you know, obviously, she wants to help out Barrett as well because they obviously have, you know, a friendship and go way back as well. But, yeah, the whole crutch of the story is how the bit when Cloud and Tifa fall into the live stream and, you know, she helps him piece himself back together. That is the, that is the most important part of the story to me anyway, in Final Fantasy VII. She is instrumental in that. She's instrumental in, yeah, putting everything together. It's, it's safe to say that in terms of the love triangle, you went with Tifa. Yes. Yes. Oh. I did. Although, I always try, I mean, I've played it so many times, I've gone with every option. Um, Tifa, yeah, Tifa is the one I always go, I go for. I, I mean, it, ah, it's, that's a tough one because Eris as well is such a great character and the way the dynamic works between her and Cloud is, is just as sweet as Tifa and Cloud. Because Tifa, because of her, you know, her, I guess what she knows and like a motherly figure and that kind of stuff. She's too reserved. Whereas Eris has that kind of go get him attitude. And it's just like, ah, oh, it's, it's tough. It's a tough one, but I push under the shove. Yeah. Yeah. Tifa. I, I would choose Tifa. If I was cloud, I'd choose Tifa. Barrett. Ah, oh. <laughs> um, you know what? I, Barrett to me is the comic relief. I love Barrett because he's Bar- Barrett and Sid. I love because I just I just laugh. They just make me laugh, um, especially when when Barrett just gets gets angry and he like stuff he doesn't understand. You know, and especially because of the game didn't have any voice acting and when he swears, just cracks me up. I I can't really put it. I never used him. I'm going to be honest. He was never in my main party. Um, nothing against him. I'm not even sure why. I just I guess I just chose other characters um even though he's actually one of the best if you're gonna go max max stats he's one of the best characters to go with because he's got multi-hit uh limit breaks anyway um yeah i i never really barrett was just kind of he was more of an enabler and i i kind of i feel bad for him because you know he goes off forming avalanche you're not forming Avalanche. you're being part of avalanche and you know trying to save the world and he he kind of has um a realization that he's not the guy to do it, you know, and he passed that's why he passes the mantle over to Cloud and makes Cloud the leader. Mm. It's like he realizes that he's probably not smart enough to do it, 
but also he's just not not able to. And in a way, that's kind of heartbreaking. It's it's a slight kind of nuance to his character that he's just quietly sidestepped. But at the same time, it's like he's he wants to be tough. He wants to be strong, especially because of Marlene. He wants to protect her and he wants to make sure the world is safe and a better place for her. And after, you know, you have your confrontation with her father dying and, you know, he dies. You know, he has this, he has the same kind of level of guilt, I suppose, a similar sort of guilt thing that, Cloud gets later on, you know, for letting Aerith die. He had a similar thing with dying, but obviously because Marnie's still alive and he still had a purpose, he a lot kind of internalizes it a lot more. But you can always see the, the nuances that kind of peek through of his, of his desire to, to be the hero, but he knows that he can't be. Next up, Yuffie. Oh, man. I, <laughs> cheeky little scamp. Um, I... I'll, I'll never forgive her for t- stealing all my material. What a, bi- <laughs> what a bitch. That fucking... That bi- I, I just got through that in um, playing on iOS. And that, that bit is actually surprisingly more difficult than I remember. And I was like, oh man, if I had my material, this would be so easy. This boss battle wouldn't be such a, so difficult. And like, you are such a... Mm. But then again, I really like her. So, <laughs> like, I use her all the time. I'm like, oh, God damn it. You're like the only... Because I don't like using Vincent. Because I, I don't really like his limit breaks. So it's like, ah, you're my only long-range character. But yet you stole my material. You, I shake my fist at you every time you turn around. <laughs> um, but again, that's, that's all part of her charm is that she's so material obsessed and she's so cheeky. Mm. Um, and it's weird because, you know, obviously she's a character that you can go the entire game and completely miss. Mm. Because you've got to go and recruit her. Same with Vincent. Um, in fact, I think the first time I ever played a game, I got it completely by chance. And I, I got it way, way, way after I was supposed to. Oh. Um, uh, I say supposed to, you know, it's, it obviously varies depending on when you can recruit her. Because, you know, this was before the internet and all that stuff. I had no idea she was even in there. I, I just kind of stumbled into it. Mm. And, um, yeah, so she... After that, I always kind of... I made... the playthroughs I played after I kind of made a point to get her early into user but at the same time she's because she's ex- quote unquote un- expendable to the story because they've obviously written it in a way that she's not always there hmm. her, she has a lot kind of more of a how to, how to describe it like kind of a throwaway personality hmm. in the sense that yeah she can be there or she can't be but at the same time her, her comments can be quite flippant because she's not always counted on him being there mm. so she can be a really funny and she can be like yeah really cheeky and i yeah i personality wise i love her because she's quite she's the most light-hearted out of the group um aries and, 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 I'll, and i'll attach to that uh with like your your personal feeling to that scene let's say <laughs> spoilers spoilers aries dies no you know what when i first played the game i remember very very distinctly when when that happened, when she died, mm. um, it was the end of disc one. Mm. When I booted up disc two, I was like, it's all right. Couple, you know, a further bit down the line in the game, she'll come back. She'll come back. Something will happen. And then, you know, I played the game. I played the game. And it just kind of hit me. It's like, she, she's not coming back, is she? She's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I didn't, I remember I didn't, I'm not even sure how I felt. I think I kind of, because I've always had a very kind of analytical mind, you know, and I always think, oh, it's the game. 
this is part of like the mechanics and blah 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 so the way it's kind of made and it's built but at the same time it's like I didn't feel sad I felt a little bit angry I was like oh fuck all that time using a leveling up what a waste <laughs> fuck <laughs> that was my first thought when I realised she wasn't coming back um, it was only until I was older that the emotional rhythm started to really take hold maybe as a kid you know I guess maybe you just don't understand death it was it was a little afterwards actually I felt okay I'm going to get a bit real now I felt a lot of guilt because I remember when my dad passed away I felt quite similar I don't think at that age I understood how to process death and I didn't understand what it really meant. I mean, obviously I knew what it meant, but I didn't know what it meant after it happened, if you know what I mean. And I don't mean like afterlife and that kind of stuff. I oh, mean yeah, like, yeah. I mean like, how do you live when you, when you, when something like that happens? Like when my dad passed away, I remember being upset, but I just went back to school, you know, and I just carried on my life and I just, yeah, I just kind of, yeah, I just carried on. Mm. And be- maybe because I didn't know what else to do. And I didn't know how to feel. And I, as I grew up, when I was older, I felt really guilty about it because I was like, you know, I, I, I feel that I should have been more upset. I should have shown more emotion, if you will. And I get a little bit of that when Aerith dies because when I first played the game, yeah, I just carried on with the game. <laughs> half of me thought it's a game she'll come back but yeah after I realised she wasn't coming back yeah I, I was like oh I guess I'll just carry on then fucking Sasseroff what a dick <laughs> um, and yeah the older I got the more I replayed it when I was older the more the guilt racked up in me and I guess I felt more and more emotional towards it because I was like because I remember as a kid just p- playing on and I was like and then now when, like, the last... Actually, I haven't even got to that scene yet, but the last time I replayed it, there's little... It's like you, you said with um, in Metal Gear Solid um, 2, that bit with the layers. No. Um, I have a similar moment. I had an epiphany moment with that in The Death, with the music playing, with the little nods and the things happening, you know, with Holy falling down the steps in time with the music, and the fact that when you're fighting Jennifer Life and you, it's Aerosene playing, it's like that is... That's haunting. I never quite got it. It never quite hit me, before, you know, when I was younger. But having that sweet music playing while you're having this massive boss fight, uh, and it's like, and especially because you just get Neo Bahamut at that point. So you know, you get that awesome summon where you know Jennifer gets taken up in the sky and gets shot down by this massive beam from Neo Bahamut. And you're like, with her theme playing in the background, it's it's a real tearjerker. It is. Like, like I can, I can save. Like, I can. I, it's, it's, it's. I, I, I know what you're going. For, I know what you mean, Dan, because, because I, I, I know this experience firsthand from a year ago, with um, my own mum who died nearly a year ago, um, and, and, I really, it's, it's kind of hard to put into words. And quite frankly, I'm somewhat reluctant to put it into words, but. Well, don't don't feel like you have to. No, man. no, 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 no. It's tough. But it's it feels like I I did something similar because like I I basically moved on like well not so much move on but like try to get back to as normal life as as fast as you can mm. and 
like and, and and I can honestly say games helped with that and and like Metal Gear Solid Three, Grand Theft Auto, and and I know what I'm talking about you know like games that perhaps with the exception of Metal Gear Solid Three, not really special, but like I can, I can definitely see what you mean, and the underlying point to that is that with games they provide that kind of healing power, so to speak. Even even if even if I'm trying to, I'm trying to put this in the words I'm tr- I'm trying but they provide such a healing power after even after so long after the event that mm. that it's just magical so I, I I don't know how else to put it in words but I, I know what you mean Alice. yeah yeah I, I understand what you're trying to say it's yeah. it's it's it is one of the things that's really inex- inexplainable it's it it doesn't quite take you back to the moment, but it it reminds you of yeah. elements of that. And and the thing is, it's like moments like that, or even moment different kind of moments in your life that you know they can be happy or sad that have a profound effect on you. You know, obviously, ours aren't exactly happy moments, but you know they can be. But when you just get vague glimpses of memories of them, yeah. It puts things into perspective, yeah. and it reminds you of things, happier things to do with that. That you know, you'd like, it, yeah, in your mind, you'd be like, oh, at the time, you know, I say, you know, for me, I, I felt that kind of that level of guilt, hmm. but then I'll remember that that guilt is caused because you know, because you know, I, I love my dad, hmm. yeah, and that kind of thing, you know. So it's it's yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's like really difficult to put into words. Yeah. Um. Let, let's let's try to cheer ourselves up by talking, <laughs> talking about how much of a dick Sephiroth is. Oh, mate. You know what? This is the best thing about Sephiroth, and the, one of the best things that Final Fantasy VII ever did. Or, you know, it's um, the fact that they don't even show you Sephiroth until, I think, maybe eight hours into the game. Uh, they talk about him. But you don't ever see him. Like, when you get into Shinwa Tower and they talk about him, and, you know, there's blood all over the walls when you escape, and then, you know, you find a sword stabbed through the president, and he's like, what the fuck, who is this guy? And then you go, you know, across over, over the marshes on your chocolate for the first time, you see Midgar Zolem, the giant snake, spear, and you're like, holy shit, how the fuck is any guy can do this? And you're like, we're going to go fight this guy? You fucking nuts? He's going to murder us. Um, and I think, and you have... Obviously, you know what he looks like because he's in like promotional art and whatnot. Oh. But you you've not seen him in the game. You don't know what he's actually done. The first time you see him actually is in a flashback mm. um, of when Cloud, you know, comes back to goes back to Nibelheim as uh, first time with a soldier. Um, and at that point, you know, he's not evil. That's when he turns evil. Mm. Or sorry, he turns insane. Um, and that's and then that's it. You see, the first time you see him is descent into madness, and all you know about him before that is that he can fuck shit up, like, real bad. And he is, a, yeah, he is a badass motherfucker. <laughs> um, and, you know, he gets a bad rep being, oh, mummy's boy and all that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that. But it's, within the context of the story, within the context of the game, within the context of his own insanity, you know, it, it, make, it does make sense. And it gives him an overwhelming sense of presence. And especially, you know, and after after Eris' death, that's it. That cemented him as like that is why he's so fondly remembered as a villain because 
he has just built up so much and he delivers on his just you know his wanted destruction and all that stuff and he's just such a dick ah <laughs> oh, yeah it's yeah one of the one of the best best villains what an asshole basically yeah <laughs> what a butthole um, that's the thing because a lot sorry i was gonna just um because a lot of people like old school final fantasy fans in particular you know they'll always shout oh kafka kafka's the best best final fantasy villain but you know what kafka my biggest problem with kafka i mean he's great because the best and worst thing about him is that he is clearly insane and he just does whatever he wants and he just kills everyone and just murders everyone and just does whatever the fuck without consideration. He just does it because he is pure evil, which makes him really unpredictable, makes him insane. But at the same time, I feel that can almost be make him a little bit two-dimensional because there's no depth to that. He's just mental. Mm. Uh, Whereas Sephiroth has elements of being mental um more kind of i guess megalomaniac kind of psychopathic rather than you know clearly insane like kefka but sephiroth has that extra level of depth and that build up whereas kefka just turns up and just destroyed everything which you know does make him a fantastic villain Hmm. but yeah how sephiroth can you know i think uh, go toe to toe on that and it's villainous s, villainous esque type type sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, like we we touched upon it slightly there, but like the soundtrack is like you know iconic. Like obviously the the start the the theme itself, obviously, but like and and all of that's like Eris theme and One Winged Angel, but like like what stands out for you in terms of the score, anyways? Tifa theme. Tifa theme is the best theme in all of Final Fantasy. Putting it out there. And I'm not just saying that just because she's my favorite character. Um, it's it. Well, I suppose it's actually tied to that because it has, in the same way that Tifa is the heart and soul of Final Fantasy VII and the crutch of the story, her theme epitomizes her character and is also you know embellishes that heart her as the heart and soul. You know, it's it's calm, it's soothing, it's warm. But yet, and it's got it's got that kind of I don't want to say emptiness, but that kind of that longing kind of feeling because obviously yeah. she has those longing kind of feelings for Cloud and all that kind of stuff. And it's like there's so much depth in that. Mm. And I know a lot of people will say, yeah, one winged one winged angel because it's Sephiroth theme, you know, air theme, Cloud theme, all that kind of stuff. And they all they all fantastic pieces of music. Really, really top notch. I mean, whenever they play any of those at Distant Worlds or any other Final Fantasy um, concert, you know, I get goosebumps. Like it's um, uh, incredible, incredible music. And Cosmo Canyon, ah, oh, so, mm, such a good theme. I could, I would just sit, sit there by the campfire in Cosmo Canyon and just listen to that. But yeah, I think for me, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a sucker for for the more the slower pieces in general in like kind of the Final Fantasy um, scores at the franchise but yeah Tifa theme for me is, is the one um, just to slightly move away from the actual main game there was of course the, the compilation of 7 mm-hmm. um, and obviously the two big bits that stand out certainly for me anyways is um, Advent Children and Crisis Core which up until recently is the most I've actually played a Final Fantasy game um, mm. because Crisis Core is such a good fucking game <laughs> it really is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to 
ruin all my credentials now and admit that I have not played Crisis Core. Dear Square Enix, please fire this man immediately. <laughs> I never, I never owned a PSP, so I never had the opportunity to play it. Um, but it's it's on my it's on my list. It's on my bucket list. I I will get around to it um, because I know, yeah, I I I've heard so much of it. I it's a game I have to play. Do, do Especially you, being a Final Fantasy VII fan. Do you not have a Vita? Like, you can play on that. It's not on PSN. Oh, fuck, that's right. It's not on PSN. That's right. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm getting it well. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise I would have been on that like a fly on shit. <laughs> um, what, what about um, Advent Children and to, uh, to have a side, sidebar on that? Because the, obviously that takes place in the aftermath of seven. Mm, yeah, Advent Children's... Oh, man. Advent Children was great. It's great, I should say. I it's it's. I know it gets a lot of flack for you know dragging out the story, and you know the ending of seven was great. You know that it was very ambiguous, or the last bit you see was uh, Red Thirteen. Well, what you think is Red Thirteen and his his family, offspring. You know, with the with Midgar in ruins. Um, so you know it, there was that bit that it kind of ruins that. Lo- I say ruins. You know, goes out that what happens after that, but at the same time. I, I as a Final Fantasy fan, I love it. I I, I love it. I mean, it's to, just to see the characters again, to see the to see the aftermath was yeah, oh man. And especially at the time, with with those visuals, blew my mind. Blew my mind. Even to this day, it still looks good. I mean, this is and it's built on what is it ten year old at least ten year old tech. Like, Probably even longer than that. No, wait, it's the 20th anniversary of the game, right? Yeah. So, no, it was well, coming t- it was t- it was, oh, well, yeah, 20th anniversary, yeah, coming up, yeah, yeah. So, that means maybe even longer, so maybe even like 10 to 15, let's say 10 to 15 years. Yeah. I can't, I'll be bothered to work that way now. Um, but yeah, that's pretty old tech, and it still holds up. Mm. So, that's, I guess, that's uh, how good the, uh, the Visual Works team at Square Enix are. Making CG. Like, to be fair, like, the best CG work I've seen it comes from Square Enix. Um, like, but not for Final Fantasy VII uh, or Advanced Children or whatever. It, it's actually one of the trailers for what became Final Fantasy XV, but back when it was known as Versus Thirteen. Like, this was mm. this was four odd years ago. Like, the opening bit of CG for that. Uh, I know the one you're talking about. I know uh, it. It's just incredible. Like, I was stunned. Yeah, that, that man. Even, even now, every bit, every little thing they do is so immaculate. And it's like, yeah, ah. Oh. Pushes the boundaries. I mean, like everything from the Deatex Mankind Divided announcement trailer that they did, mm. like, blew my mind. That the um, the secret movie in Final Fantasy Type Zero HD. Oh man, just the, just the level of detail in the rent. Oh man, yeah, yeah, best best at CG. Indeed, indeed. What else do you like about Final Fantasy VII that we've not touched upon tonight? Oh jeez. Um, You know what? I think the Materia system is one of the most underrated systems in RPGs. It's because if you think about it, if you look at each character statistic-wise, they there is variation between them, but they are they can be made quite you know across the board very similar. So the main the only difference really between the characters are their weapons and um, their limit breaks. With the Materia system, it's almost I would say it is one of the best, if not the best, create your own class system. Because the material gives you so much variety in how you put things together. If you want, 
you know, to go pure black mage, you know, easy. Just load a character with all green material, whatever spells you want. If you want him to be, you know, any other class, you know, classic Final Fantasy class, you can make it yourself. And if you want to blend classes, you can do that with the materia. Or even if you want to go full on just melee, you know, just have, you know, boost up all your other kind of stats and whatnot. You know, there's so much flexibility in the system that I think not enough people give it enough credit, not enough people big it up because I think it's, it's incredible. A lot of people would say, you know, oh, five, five has a great class system, which it does. But to me, seven, seven is a really, really clever, cleverly put together game as well as like across the story and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. If I, the other thing is that people just seem, not just seem to forget, but just don't really talk about. Um, this may be a hard question to answer in light of that. Like, what didn't you like? Ooh, um, yeah, that is a tough, um, I'm trying to think. There must, there must be something. There's, yeah, because no game is ever perfect. I think, you know, some of the, some of the plot points don't work quite as well. Some of the overall plot things can be a bit kind of head scratching, kind of what, mate? Well, you know, there are some bits, you know, especially like when the reunions with all the uh, the clones and all that kind of thing. Can you be like a bit hokey, mm. a bit too out there? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I maybe maybe I'm biased and I can just allow myself to just get lost in all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I can understand people who be like, no, the story sucks, mate. That doesn't make any sense. That's a bit shit. That guy in here was rubbish. Um, you know, and I, I can understand people coming from that angle, but I, I, I personally don't necessarily see it as much. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm genuinely struggling to think of what I, I can't even ask you because you haven't even played it. Well, I've played uh, in bits, but not entirely. Like I would say, maybe two hours, three hours at best. Oh, mate, come on, sort your life out. Hey, that's why the remix happened. Oh, okay. All right, all right. I'll let you off then. <laughs> but what would you say? Would you, would you have anything that you say that? Would you would criticize the game? I think I think if, if there was anything to criticize on my end, it's that, I, and this is more my fault than the game's really. But I'll, I'll put it out there anyways. But um, it's and this is the same problem I had with met, playing the, the original Metal Gear Solid for the first time. Um, it's that I didn't really play it at the time it came out at at um at the time of its let's say fame because mm. because. I think, and this is the opinion I hold of Metal Gear Solid as well, like, if I had played these games at their time rather than, say, what, 10, 11 years later, then I would hold a different opinion of it now than I would, you know, playing it for the first time five or six years ago, like I did with Metal Gear Solid uh, 1, like I did, like I did with Final Fantasy 7. Uh, seven for the first time in five years ago because I think it was 2010 I first played it, actually, on PS3 when it came out as a PS1 classic, so I think that's the only criticism that I have um, for the game. But again, that's that's me, not the game, and and that's thankfully why. Like I say that kind of flippantly because of the point made, but I, uh, in a kind of serious way as well. That's why I'm kind of thankful the remake has happened because you know you know it brings it brings the game to a whole new generation of tw- like nearly twenty years on. Mm. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. It's it's easy to forget that. Yeah, the people who played, well, people like me, you know, who played Final Fantasy VII when it first came out. Yeah, we were kids. Mm. Well, I tell you, or, you know, young adults, yeah. whatever. Um, 
when that OG came out. And it's like, yeah, there were so many gamers now who've grown up and only heard about this game, you know, and they'll look at me like, it's an old retro game. Look at that. I'm not going to play that shit. Because, you know, it just couldn't actually the way it looked because it was made in 1997. Oh. Um, and it's, yeah, easy to forget. So, yeah, I I hope you play and enjoy. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try and get into the PS One version. In fact, and I'll try and um, on PS Three. And actually, there's the PS Four PC port coming as well. So I, I nearly forgot about that. So mm. I'll, uh, I'll try and get on that uh, for the end of the year. I'm going to ask you a tough question. Uh, top three Final Fantasy games. Obviously, seven at the top. But like, how would you fill that top three out? Oh, that's the easy question. Um, seven, ten, eight. Oh. Okay, like, well, give a give a brief rundown as to why, like, like why they would be in your top three. Seven, well, seven was, yeah, yeah, we've already covered it. My first one, it's the one that changed everything for me. Hmm. Ten, ten was a very similar kind of story because obviously the first one on PS2, the same kind, I say kind of had that technological leap, um, and it was the first time that Final Fantasy went into a story that was about two characters really it was it's a story about Titus yes Titus not Titus Titus and Yuna you know and it's um their relationship and their story that is the that is what Final Fantasy X is all about Mm. and no other Final Fantasy before that has really done that it was always an ensemble cast right and each cast member always had like the main their own kind of story I mean seven you could argue you know, how it was about Cloud and Sephiroth, but, you know, Aerith, Tifa, Barrett, or everyone else still had a big part in that, whereas everyone in 10, you know, it's like the whole fact that all the characters travel in a group, you know, they're all going on a pilgrimage. That's the kind of the theme of the story, that it's about following one person's journey. Mm. And because of that, it was a lot more personable i suppose a lot of the kind of things that happen a lot have a lot more kind of emotional weight because you're following this one person or two people's story so closely and yeah oh, it's just incredible uh, it's got my favorite probably my favorite ending because it's so bittersweet mm-hmm. um and I, I could probably gush about five maybe ten as much as i have about seven so i'm <laughs> not gonna go on much longer so uh eight eight I I just re- oh man I'm trying to think how to put it into words why I love eight so much but I think I remember playing eight following seven Christmas after it came uh, you would you know because eight came out on the Christmas I remember playing it Christmas morning and I remember playing it and thinking this is different it's not the same and I'm like what what is this I'm playing and I I stuck with it and I was like it's just struck a such a chord with me I think. The fact that it went down that more realistic route, you know, with obviously the realistic characters, the way they dress and the world and then things was obviously deliberately more realistic kind of setting. And the whole love story, you know, being between um, Score and Renoa being the main theme of 8. I think in the same way that 10, you know, was a story about you know, and her story, like their story and the, the... the general theme of love, I think, was I can't. I'm yeah. I'm really struggling to put in the words. I can't actually think why. Just, just. Lost. Yeah, it just. It, yeah, I. I am actually a lost word. It's. Fly me. 
I it's uh, yeah. I I don't. I'm for a long time actually. Eight and ten used to swap swap around in my favorites um, between the second and third slot. Um, for, to be fair, I've not played eight in quite a long time. I should go out and replay it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I can't pinpoint an exact reason why I love it so much. I, the story itself, I mean, it's, I, everything I say is just the same thing that I would say about the, the Final Fantasy franchise. You know, I, I love the characters, I love the stories, the music. But the, the, there was a special something in 8, but I just can't quite put my finger on it. Because 6 is the one that follows after. I could, I, could, I could list you all the mainline games in order, mm. from my favourite to least favourite. Mm. Um, and 6 is the one that comes after after eight for me and i love and six works because i love it's it's basically like a bunch of individual stories stuck together with all every character has their own line like their own storyline and the music oh man the music six has the best character themes and it's it really kind of helps bring that to life um whereas i think eight just has it's got that it's got the emotional weight in it that i just can't put into words really frustrating it's really bugging me honorable mansions go for it ah it's gotta be um, Persona 4 Persona 4 and The Wind Waker Um, yeah they are my top three favourite games of all time um as I've mentioned throughout the rest of this podcast, you know, I, I love the Legend of Zelda uh, franchise. And um, The Wind Waker is my, it's easily my favorite out of all the Legend of Zelda games. It's the most expressive, the most emotional. And I just, yeah, it's, it's so charming. It's so, and it's got really strong, it's got stories, strong, strong characters that instantly I fell in love with it. I remember at the time, you know, people were bitching about it like crazy you know, about for the cell shaded graphics, which is funny because nowadays, you know, it's complete U-turn and everyone loves it. Um, but at the time, yeah, oh man, that was nasty. But even when I first laid eyes on it, I was like, this is, this is incredible. This is absolutely stunning. Um, and yeah, it's just such a clever game as well. So I, yeah, Wind Waker up there and Persona 4. It's worth noting that for anyone listening, he really struggled between Final Fantasy VII and Persona 4 when I put yeah. this to him. Yeah, it's... Persona 4 is a game... Like, I love the Persona series. 3 was my first one, um, which I also really, really, really love. But 4 tops it for me. And I guess the reason for that is just because the... Coincidentally, whenever I... The times I've played... Persona 4, at least most of the time I played Persona 4, is when I've been going through a tough time and the way the fact, the fact that Persona 4 is about a bunch of high school kids and, you know, it's about a lot of it is about growing up or at least themes that you can attribute to growing up um, and discovering yourself finding yourself, all that kind of stuff among other things um, it's a those kind of things kind of really resonated with me when, you know, when I wasn't, for lack of a better term, you know, feeling my best. Mm. Um, and, you know, helped me really, really get through some tough times. And it's really kind of help, heartfelt. And the fact, as I mentioned before, as, as the fact that you are school kids growing up, it means that every character goes through something that you can relate to 
growing up, whether spoilers, um, whether it be you know Yosuke going to moving moving home, um, knowing nobody in his, his new environment, coming from a big city to a country town where you know there's nothing to do. He feels completely like a fish out of water. Um, you know, to uh, Yukiko's sense of obligation to do what family wants her to do, even though she may not want to. And, you know, you go through every character. There's, even if you don't necessarily like that character, there is something in there, in them, that they go through that you can relate to. And then through that, you grow to those characters. And it's a story about, you know, hanging out with your school friends. And then at the end of, of it all, you know, like school, you go your separate ways. So it's kind of, again, bittersweet like that. And I, yeah, it's just a very cleverly designed game. Yeah, I, I did have trouble picking between Persona 4 and Final Fantasy because, but for slightly different reasons. Persona 4, I think, has more personal resonance with me, mostly because of what I just mentioned and how it affected me at certain points of, in my life. Uh, and I could easily talk talk as much as I have for Final Fantasy VII as I could for Persona 4 and all its meanings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Final Fantasy, whenever anyone asks me what my Final why, bleh, whenever anyone asks me what my favorite game is, you know, it's almost like, a, it's a reflex reaction, I'll say Final Fantasy VII, hmm. uh, even without thinking it. Um, and it's because it is, you know, it is my favorite game. I do, I can go back and play it. I mean, I'm playing it right now on iOS. Um, and I, I love it as much now as I've always have. And it's, you know, I, I owe so much to that game that it's even, you know, I've, I've probably played technically superior games, you know, I've, you know, graphically superior games, made better design games, better written, whatever. Um, but that game changed my life. And I don't think even like the way my mind works and the way maybe I am as a person, I think. I might even be a completely different person if I hadn't played that game, let alone be in the position that I am in my life. So, yeah, that, while Persona 4 has the most emotional resonance, Final Fantasy VII has affected my life, I think, in a much bigger way. And for that, yeah, that's why it's my favorite game and also why, you know, I'm so so thankful to it. I owe, I owe that game too much. Needless to say, top three games, Final Fantasy VII, Persona 4, Wind Waker in that order? Yes, in that order. Now, many years ago, Square Enix released a groundbreaking title that went on to become one of the most beloved games in PlayStation and video game history. Tonight, I am proud to announce that by popular demand, we have a very special treat for everyone. Long ago, we looked upon a foreboding sky. The memory of the star that threatened all burns eternal in our hearts. 
In its wake came an age of silence. Yet with each fond remembrance, we knew those encountered were not forgotten. That someday we would see them again. Perhaps it was no more than wishful thinking. But after the long calm, there are now the beginnings of a stir. The reunion at hand may bring joy, it may bring fear, but let us embrace whatever it brings. For they are coming back. At last, the promise has been made. A little bit of excitement. We're proud to announce that Final Fantasy VII Remake is coming first to PlayStation 4. Like, as I mentioned the remake, and obviously I'm not going to ask for the details because it's obviously still too soon, but like, as someone who loves like Final Fantasy VII, as someone who loves and reads Final Fantasy VII, both personally and from a professional perspective like when you were first told that there was going to be a remake happening like what was your first kind of internal reaction to it in your mind going like like I, I would assume the first obvious like reaction was oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god something <laughs> like that yeah yeah pretty much, pretty much oh my god oh my god you're not you're not fucking with me mate don't 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 joke about that shit mm. don't joke about that shit yeah, i think that jo- I, I think that was those were almost my exact words <laughs> like, because it's been joked about so much now, up until it was announced that he free, like for ten years, like is it, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. It may happen. Nope, not going to happen. Oh, maybe happen. It's happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that even if, yeah, even if you kind of knew it would happen, it's like, is it really? Is yeah. it? Because yeah, because of that, you've heard it so much that it's it's not happening. It's like, wait, it's now happening. It actually is. Really? That, that 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 kind of that folklore has become real. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm I was uh, I was and still am so excited, so excited. I mean, yeah, like like I said before, like Final Fantasy VII is the game that it changed my life. If if I had not played Final Fantasy VII, I would not see video games the way I do now as a medium, as an artistic medium, as you know, in terms of storytelling and everything. I would not be into games as much, probably, as I am now, and therefore I would not be in my career if it were not for Final Seven. So I, you know, it's like an artist, like a like a singer or a band that can be like can attribute that their whole career was from that single, that single they got to number one that time that week. It's what caused their career. You know, if um. Like, I suppose, like, The Killers from Mr. Brightside. Yeah. Let's say that. If they hadn't done that song, would they be where they are now? And it's like, if I hadn't played Final Fantasy VII, would I be where I am right now? Probably not. No. Actually, most certainly not. 
Yeah. So to see it coming back, I'm 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 just overjoyed. I am overjoyed. And as like, we touched upon before, like for a younger generation, for for people who have only heard about this amazing game, and for whatever reason, you know, have not not played it. You know, now is the chance that they can play it and see what the fuss is about. And yeah, I'm just I'm just overjoyed that more people can experience yeah my favorite game. Hmm. Um. What do you see the legacy for Final Fantasy VII being, and that the legacy that perhaps the remake will carry into, um, uh, the, the the kind of legacy the remake will carry into. I mean, um. Oh man. I guess with the legacy of Final, oh man, because Final Fantasy VII was such such a big game. I guess the legacy. I don't want to. I don't want to big it up too much, but I almost credit like the entire JRPG scene in the West is Final Fantasy VII's legacy. Because think about it: if that game had not come out and been as big as it, and you know, as I was saying before, it was like, why is Final Fantasy VII so revered, and why is it so big? It's because it epitomizes. PlayStation in the nineties, like and video games. Hmm. If you know, and if it hadn't come out, would would JRPGs, you know, would they be as big? Would they be? Would they come out in the West? I mean, because yeah, Final Fantasy VII was the big, was the first Final Fantasy game in Europe, the biggest uh, JRPG. You know, I think well, definitely at the time. You know, if it didn't come out, or if it wasn't successful, would it be just like it was before then? Now. If that made sense. That yeah, didn't make yeah. sense, yeah? yeah? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I would almost accredit that, uh, yeah, the JRPG scene as its legacy. And I hope, I hope that the remake, along with Final Fantasy XV, you know, can, will revitalize the JRPG um, genre in, in the West and make it as big as it used to be. Because you remember there was, after Final Fantasy VII came out, and, you know, when 8, 9... 10 came out, you know, we had tons of RPGs coming out, you know, I, I, I just mentioned a few that, you know, I got into um, uh, on the PS1, and, you know, you had loads on the PS2, you know, you had the Shadow Hearts games, you had, you know, obviously sequels, you know, like Grandia 2 and all those other games, um, and I would love to see JRPGs come back in a big way like they used to, because, uh, you know, in the on the in the last generation on PS3 and Xbox 360, you know, there were some, there were some big ones, you know, you had your Lost Odysseys, you had, you know, the other Square Enix titles, you know, you had your, um, your Star Oceans, Final Fantasy XIII, obviously, um, but it was nowhere near, the quantity, and quantity, arguably, but the quantity at least, was nowhere near as much as it used to be, because, you know, the RPG genre, the JRPG genre, has become a lot more niche, mm. and I, I would hope that the legacy of Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, along with Final Fantasy XV, would help bring back the glory of the JRPG, or at least, you know, put more of a spotlight on JRPGs that the mainstream gaming audience will, will take notice.
follow me on Twitter if you want. I'm at uh, DMCito. Uh, please uh, follow me. Keep up to date with everything Square Enix is doing. Keep an eye on all Final Fantasy games. You know, there's, oh man, there's plenty, plenty of great stuff coming. You know, obviously, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Woo! Final Fantasy XV. Woo! Final Fantasy Explorers. Yay! Uh, and as well, you know, plenty more in the future, hopefully. Otherwise, I'll be out of a job. So uh, please buy our games and keep me employed. Thanks for listening to my favourite game. Next week, Robin Honaki on Katamari Damase. Until next week, bye bye.